0: Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 21. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians four, seventeen through 21. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said, Amen. We have been considering what distinguishes true believers from unbelievers, and this is not merely an academic question. Your life, your eternal life, depends on how this is answered. If you live and think like the world, if that's where your real desires are, then this is proof that you remain alienated from the life of God. It's an indication of ignorance. You just don't get it. You just don't know, or it hasn't soaked in, or you've missed the point or something. And it's also an indication of a blind and a calloused heart. That's what Paul has said here. That's the description of unbelief. And it's entirely possible for that to be present within the walls of the church or on the membership rolls of the church, but that's not generally the case. We want to, as he's setting apart these two groups of people, he's he's trying to help the Ephesians and help us make sure that that line of demarcation is clear in our own minds and demonstrated in our own lives, that we are not blurring those lines, which is our temptation. And so I want to give a warning. I, I remind you that while your baptism, when joined with saving faith is a is a blessing beyond description. Your baptism without that saving faith is not only not a blessing, it is a curse, it is a judgment, it is a testimony against you if you are not walking with Christ, if you are not learning Christ, if you are not following Him to whom much is given, much is required. A Christian is a person who has received something. Specifically, they have received truth and now has some new level of understanding, a new perspective, a new way of looking at themselves, looking at God, looking at the world. You have learned Christ. And I'm not talking about simply some sentimental feeling about Jesus That's not where the Bible places the emphasis. You can have feelings toward a Jesus of your own imagination. But the Bible places an emphasis upon knowledge, upon understanding and learning. In other words, the Jesus as He has been revealed in the Word of God, not the Jesus of your imagination. Or as the Apostle put it in 1 Timothy 2.4, God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And there is only one truth. And we're going to see that that truth is in Jesus. And in fact, Jesus himself is the truth. You can't know God, though, and not be moved. So it's not apart from our feelings. But when we know the truth, when we know the Savior, when we know Him, we are always moved, and if we're not moved, then we don't know God. And so this learning Christ always begins. It begins the same way with our recognition of our condition. We are in deep trouble. We are hopeless and helpless without Him. And it's against this backdrop, That the gospel becomes good news. In fact, it becomes the very best news. You say, Well, I was born in a Christian home and I was baptized and I was brought to church from the very beginning. Well, that might be true. But you were born into that Christian home and into that Christian church in order to learn Christ. What a tragedy to be born in the hospital where the remedy is and where the doctors and nurses are, and to even receive the bracelet, baptism, but then to fail to receive the remedy. It does no good sitting, uh, the remedy does no good sitting on the shelf next to you. You see, there must be a point for every one of us that I think is really described in the life of Lydia as we read in Acts 16:14 now a certain woman named Lydia heard us Paul said she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul You see, for every one of us, there has to be an open heart. And second, the evidence of that open heart will be that we take heed, we pay attention to the things that are spoken. You can hear the words, you can hear them at home, you can hear them at church, but if you don't ever heed the words, if you don't ever pay attention, then you have not learned Christ. You see, it's not just any knowledge, it's a knowledge of Christ Himself. This is way more than mere ethical knowledge. It is a knowledge that inevitably, necessarily changes who we are. It changes the direction we're going. It makes us love what Christ loved. It makes us love the church. Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for her, and therefore I love the church. And you love the church if you've learned Christ. The law of God, of course, is engraved on every heart. Every man has the law of God imprinted. He's made in God's image. Romans tells us that um, they know the difference. Every person between right and wrong. But this is way more than just ethical knowledge. Even open unbelievers, though, know that what they're doing is wrong and destructive, but they do it anyway. The problem is they don't know Christ, and thus they have no power to overcome these things. And this is why Paul gives this description in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So obviously the first thing we need to be asking is, Am I righteous or am I unrighteous? How would I know? Well, the Bible tells us how to know. Am I in Christ or not? Do I know Christ? Have I learned Christ? Is Christ the center of my being? Is He the Savior of my life? Is He indeed the Lord, the boss, the ruler? He's in charge of me. Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't lie to yourself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, he didn't say we just, you've become a little bit better now. No, you've changed. You're not those things anymore. That's the past, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were taken out of that and set apart. You were separated from that life, from that world, from that identity. And you've been given a new identity. You're a new person You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. The only thing that can enable enable a person to change, the only thing that can enable a person to change, to stop, to turn around, to go in a new direction, is to learn Christ. All the way to the bone. The gospel isn't simply that our sins are forgiven. It is that. But it's much more than that. It goes beyond that by delivering us from the bondage to sin. This knowledge of Christ goes way past a theory or way past a profession or of belief. Paul makes the point that truth is in Jesus. We're going to expand upon that a bit more in a moment. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones captured this well when he says this. We are brought face-to-face with this most profound truth about Christianity that it is a faith that belongs to history and thereby it differs from the world religions. A a fellow CREC pastor uh, from Poland, uh, Pavel, wrote and asked me this week, he said, I've got to give a talk in Poland and, and the question I'm supposed to deal with, is Christianity a religion? And, uh, so we wrote back and forth, and then I ran across this quote and sent it to him, and I'm going to finish it here. He says, uh, we're brought face to face with the most profound truth about Christianity that it is a faith that belongs to history, and thereby it differs from the world religions. All religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism, and the rest are built upon teachings and ideas. They say that if you accept them and follow them and put them into practice, you will be helped and your life will be changed and so on. That is not Christianity at all. Christianity is an announcement of certain facts and events which have taken place in history. It tells us that our salvation is based upon them. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law the historic Jesus of Nazareth he is essential it is not my application of his teaching that saves me it is he that saves me so i am tied to the truth as it is in jesus moreover and i'm i'm through with the quote there truth is only in Jesus. He is the truth. Colossians 2.3, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Peter and John were put on trial for healing a man and for preaching Jesus, here's what Peter said. Acts 4. This is the stone, referring to Jesus, which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It's all all in Him. Not 90%, not 98%, 100%. All or nothing. It is impossible to say that you have been justified by Jesus but then have nothing to do with sanctification or godliness or holiness or Christian living. That's what He saves His people for. To make them like Him. And if we have indeed learned Christ, then we cannot possibly continue to live like the world. Actions always speak louder than words. What a horrible thing to try to separate what we believe from who we are. That's impossible you have not so learned Christ. So when Paul says truth is in Jesus, what is this truth that is in Jesus? Well, it's the revelation or it is the revealing of God himself. John 1:17 and 18 grace and truth came through Jesus Christ No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus said, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. And so I'm asking, have you seen Him? Or as Paul puts it here, have you heard Him? You see, there's a difference between listening and hearing. And again, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Like Lydia, who I mentioned earlier, whose heart was opened, and then she attended to the words. She attended to the words she heard. Do you have ears to hear? Can you listen to a sermon and never hear it? In fact, it's possible that you could do that your whole life. It's the same distinction we make between seeing and perceiving. You ever looked at one of those things? I used to have one over at Szechuan Restaurant in the back, those pictures that are just a bunch of squiggly lines, and you stand there and stare at it and all of a sudden this kind of 3D image pops out. I I know some people said, I've looked at those things a hundred times, and I can't see it. But if you ever do, if you ever see it, then the next time you go to look at it, it pops right out. You, you You can get it. Well, there's a difference in seeing and perceiving, like hearing and listening. Wordsworth said of one of his characters, Peter Bell, A primrose by a river brim. A yellow primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. Sometimes we just see the surface and we don't look past it. We don't, it never takes root. It never goes in deep. It never becomes something that's meaningful and powerful and life-changing. Or as the architect of the Alders House once told me as we stood out in the field looking at the frame of their home, that he had designed, in all of its glory, that timber frame, but looking behind it, behind the house, at the forest, at the the stream, at the pasture, at the cows, he said to me, I see no evidence of a creator. And I said, well, that's like me saying, as we looked at that same scene, I see no evidence of an architect. And yet the evidence is overwhelming, but it is possible to look at the evidence and completely miss it. And so I ask you have you heard Christ? Have you been taught by Him? If so, then you're not only, uh, you not only believe the truth, you understand it, and more importantly, you even understand the implications of it. In other words, you recognize its significance and its significance for you. And the way we know that you have heard Him, and the way we know that you have been taught by Him, and that you are following Christ, and that He has become everything for you, not a footnote, not life insurance, but everything, is it'll be seen in how you live. It'll be seen in your marriage and in your family and in your friendships and in your dating and in your work and in your giving and in your play. It will be seen everywhere all the time. Now I want to do two things here to wrap this up. I'm going to give another longer quote here from Lloyd-Jones that sums all this up, and then I want to give a personal word. He says this, I sum up the Apostles' teaching then in the following way. To hear Christ and to be taught in Him means that I have learned that God has loved me, has so loved me, that at a given point in time He sent His only begotten Son into this world, out of eternity, into the virgin's womb. He humbled Himself and was born as a helpless babe and laid in a manger. He lived... And he, humbled, excuse me, he lived and He taught. He rendered a perfect obedience to His Father and to His most holy law. And then, though He might have commanded more than twelve legions of angels to attend Him, and might have returned to heaven immediately, He deliberately went to the cross and suffered the shame and the spitting and the indignity of it all. And this He did to bear my sins." to receive my punishment, to suffer the penalty that my guilt had deserved, and infinitely more important, to deliver me from the bondage of sin and of Satan, to separate me unto himself and to make me a man zealous for good works, delighting in holiness. He died. He was raised from the dead. He returned to heaven, and he set, sent down his, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in order that I might have the assurance of my faith and the joy and the power. He has given me a new life and a new nature. He has joined me to Himself. I am a member of His mystical body. I am a child of God. I am an heir of heaven. That is what knowing Christ means. Learning Him, hearing Him. I believe the teaching that naught that defileth shall be allowed to enter into heaven, that heaven is eternally pure and holy, the antithesis of this world and sin, the opposite to hell. That is how I learned Christ. That is how I have heard Him. That is how I have been taught in Him, that I am in Him the living head and a part of Him, and that beyond this life and death and the veil, I am going to be with him forever and ever. If you believe these things, says Paul, you will have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. If you believe these things, says John, he that hath this hope in in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The logic is inevitable and only one deduction is possible, namely... Everything about Christ and our relationship with him makes the old life unthinkable as well as impossible. Now, some of you, perhaps, since I've been here for a while, I don't just mean this morning, but over the years, have heard some of what I'm going to tell you. Maybe you've heard all of it before, but some of you haven't. My personal road to Damascus. Paul was born a covenant child. Philippians 3, 4 and 5. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I too grew up in a covenant home with Christian parents I went to church every week Sunday school and worship a church that preached the gospel I was baptized but as a teenager I was distracted by everything else friends, girls, sports and a whole long list of other things life was all about me And having fun. If you had asked me if I was a Christian, I would have quickly responded with a yes. And if someone had suggested that perhaps I wasn't, I would have been highly offended at such a suggestion. But I was far, far from being a follower of Jesus. I will not trouble you with descriptions of the kinds of things I was doing because I would never want to glorify Or justify such foolishness and stupidity. But let me summarize by saying I was living a totally self centered life and the trajectory of where I was headed was not good. Then suddenly, God got my attention in a rather dramatic way. At age 16, As I laid face down in a field in the the dark, thinking I had broken my leg, and was someone threatening me with a gun, if he could find me in the dark, there in the dark, on the ground, I cried out in my heart, I didn't cry out loud because I didn't want to get shot, to God to save me. Over the next few months, I began to realize that he was opening my heart. I traveled to see my uncle, who was a pastor in Lawton, Oklahoma, and as I came there, the next day he introduced me to five young men in his church, uh, two of which were in college and three of which were in high school. This was during the summer and he said these guys get together and they pray together and and read their bibles and go out and witness to people out in the public on the street. And so he dropped me off with these five guys who were strangers and they immediately were gracious and embraced me and I spent the day with those guys. And within minutes I knew that these guys were true followers. No question. They loved him. They loved his word. They prayed together. And that evening, I did something at my uncle's house that I had not done since I was a little bitty kid. There at his house, in, my, in, his, in the guest room, I got on my knees at my bedside. And I remember the simple prayer I prayed Lord, I don't know what those guys have, but that's what I want. That day I had learned Christ, I had been taught in Him. that this is the overwhelming part for me that was the beginning for me Nothing has ever been the same. Let's pray. Father, in various times and in various ways, You spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, You have spoken to us By your Son, help us to listen to him as we take heed to his word, and may we be instructed by him, for truth is in him. May we be moved with great passion for him and for his body, the church, which he loved and gave himself for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth is in Jesus. What a profound and comprehensive statement. It's either true or it isn't. Jesus claimed to be the truth, the way, the life. That was the issue at the very heart of the trial of Jesus. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. If you're coming to this table, then that issue should be a settled one for you. What is truth? Everything Jesus says is true, and I am His disciple. I'm here to follow Him. And so let us gather around the truth. Jesus, let us eat and drink the truth. Let us go out and live the truth. Amen. O Lord, with all that you have done for us and in us, you have every right to expect abundant fruit, and yet the crop is often meager, and even the wrong kind of fruit. Let us take heed and beware, lest we be like branches that do not bear good fruit and are taken away. If we bear fruit, let us be pruned, that we may bear more fruit. Let this picture of Israel as a vineyard be continually before your congregation. Let us tremble at the thought of displeasing you and long to bear fruit to your glory. May your people today bear much fruit and so prove to be your disciples. May the fruit of the Spirit be evidenced in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Thank you for Jesus, the true vine, who was all that Israel failed to be. Father, thank you for making us part of him, for making us part of his body, the church. And bless us now as we rest and feast together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen.